Well, I've decided to put our series through the book of Acts on an indefinite hold. And you may recall I was originally considering ending our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis after chapter 11. And, and one of the reasons I was planning that was because I wanted to shift our Sunday night series through the book of Acts to Sunday morning. That's where I originally wanted that. But at the time, we were still trying to finish up John. <laughs> and that took longer than I expected. And though Genesis 11 makes for a natural stopping point, I had no peace to end that series, as you know. Well, it just so happens where we were at in the book of Acts is a pretty good pause point. It's the end of chapter 7. In chapter 8, the church is going to branch away from Jerusalem. And the gospel is going to start to be taken throughout the world. The Gentiles will start to receive the message in mass. And so it's a pretty good pause point. Uh, another reason I was going to move Acts to Sunday morning originally was because I wanted to free up our Sunday nights in order to do some topical series. We've been in this last couple years of just doing verse by verse every service. And I like to do some topical every now and then because there's things that God lays on my heart. One of those studies I was feeling led to give was why we use the King James Bible. And I gave that series in the past. Some of you were here for that. And I mentioned then that about every five to six years, I'd like to do that series because I can catch the young people who are becoming adults. I can catch new people who may not understand. And I wanted to do that um, so that we could just keep it freshly before us. And I know, I know some of y'all were here, but I, it was actually a, minis, a mini-series inside of a greater series through the Word of God, just on the Word of God, and then it turned out we went down that path for a little bit, I think 16 weeks it was. But it really ended up being a jumbled mess because I didn't plan it. We just kind of ventured down there. I didn't have all my ducks in a row, and we would jump from the 17th century to the 1st century. <laughs> it was all over the place. And I wasn't real happy with how it turned out. And I'm going to place Acts on hold in order to give you the reasons why we use the King James Bible. And because we now have the ability to post messages the way that we do, we didn't have this capability five and a half years. Can you believe it's been five and a half years already since I did that? Um, we didn't have the capabilities we have now. And so now what I want to do is I want to give this series, and then I want to be able to post it out there, and then if anybody wants to see it and has questions, they can go and look at it, and I don't have to do this again. Amen. Not that I, I, and I don't mind doing it, but if I lose a lot of weight, we'll do it again. But, <laughs> you know, as of right now, uh, come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Ooh. Um, now, despite everything that I've just said, I don't want to do this. But God is making it clear that I need to do this. Um, I don't want to do this because, in my mind, I just did it, even though it was six years ago. But last year, I was invited to go to the young adults class for a few weeks and give reasons why. And so they just heard some of this a year ago, although they got a shortened version and so I don't really want to do this at this time. But starting around family camp, I started getting requests. It was weird. Got a request for it, and I just was fighting it. And then I got more requests for it, and um, I still didn't want to do it. And then I was literally praying 
as I was praying, as soon as I was done with that, I received a text saying, hey, can you do a series on why? And I thought, okay, Lord, I'm just going to give in and I'm going to go ahead and do this so that you can stop bugging me about it. Amen. Um, now, if, if you were here five and a half years ago or you were in the young adults when I gave this, uh, please don't slack off. Um, I need you to still be here. Um, because it's good for people to see that there are many who agree with why we do what we do. Because there's people who don't agree, and there's people who are on the fence, and it's good to have people that can say amen. Um, So I still want you to be here. Please don't use this as an opportunity to stop attending for a while. Um, Not to mention, um, this is a very important subject. It, It is so important that under what we believe, we state this first. The Bible is the verbally inspired Word of God and is the final authority for faith and practice. The Bible reveals the Godhead, man's creation and fall, God's plan of redemption for fallen man, and God's total plan for the ages. We believe the King James Bible is God's preserved Word for English-speaking peoples and shall be the official and only translation used by this church. Now, why do we believe that? Why would we state that so strongly that we don't even want another English version being used in a classroom or in the pulpit and and not even in our academy? So why are we still boldly standing on a 400-year translation? If we're going to dogmatically state we believe the King James Bible is God's preserved word in, in the English tongue, then we better have good reason. And we ought to be able to show why we believe this. And it's so important for me that I said I would do this every five or six years because a lot of our young people were probably like me. I'll say this again later, but I grew up with the King James. I didn't know the difference. And so they leave out of here, they grow up, and they're not really, don't really understand why we use this book. And so I think it's it's very important to uh, understand this So I'm convinced we have good reasons, and I hope to communicate these reasons to you through this series. I don't know how long it'll be, but I hope to not drag our feet. Now, before we get to the series, I want to give some time for introduction and and let you know some some of my heart, where I stand, and some of the disclaimers that I have uh, for you. Number one is I do not feel that all churches and people who do not use the King James Bible are the devil. I don't believe they're less spiritual if they use a different version. I realize many have never studied the difference. And honestly, in today's age, most people don't even know about it. And so I'm willing to give some grace there. So long as a church or a person is not watering down the gospel and they're still giving a clear presentation of the gospel, then I rejoice. Just so you know where my heart is, I'm not that Baptist that wants to go beat up every church that doesn't say Baptist on it. I also understand that just because a church uses a King James Bible, it doesn't mean it's a good church. Um. Fun fact, outside of the Second Testament of Christ, the Mormons use the King James. 
So I'm not going to sit here and say that everyone that uses the King James is spot on. No. Just because a church uses a King James, it doesn't mean they're right doctrinally, nor does it mean they're pleasing to go to. Uh, number two, I do not believe in what some call secondary inspiration. Now, this can mean different things to different people. I'm talking about those who believe the King James translators were Holy Ghost inspired just like the original penmen of the Word of God were. I, I don't believe that. While those men who translated the King James were a very unique bunch, they were highly educated, probably a group unlike the world will ever see again. And, and I'm not exaggerating. They, that was a time when, when men like that were fluent in many languages. And they started when they were just little kids, learning Hebrew and Greek and Latin and English and all these things. So it was a very educated group, unlike any other translation committee that has ever existed. Uh, but they were not inspired like the Apostle, the Apostle Paul was. They were just translating the Bible. I think the Bible is clear that the only original penmen were, were Holy Ghost inspired. Um, like we read in the Bible, you know, they were moved by the Holy Ghost and they, they would give the Word of God. Um, the translators were not giving the Word of God. I don't believe that copyist or any translator is inspired in the sense like we're talking about uh, with the Apostle Paul and others. And we'll cover that at some point as we go through this. Certainly God can and God does preserve His Word through copyists and translators, but it doesn't mean that they were inspired to receive this revelation from God and, and pin that down. So while I believe the King James is the preserved Word of God in English, we have to confess it is a translation. If you have a King James Bible that in the front it has the, trans, the translators to the readers, it is the translation committee writing to us to tell us how they went through the process and all this kind of... It's a fascinating read if you're interested. Um, but they admit we're just translating this into the English tongue. So we have to admit... It is, it is a translation, which leads me to a sub-disclaimer within this disclaimer. And, and that is this, since I do not believe in secondary inspiration, I do not believe all future translations into another language must be taken from the King James Bible. Anybody that's in the know, most anybody that's in the know, will admit it doesn't work using an English translation to translate the Bible into another language. It just doesn't work. One of the reasons is because when the King James was translated, we wrote in the masculine. And, and in a lot of respects, we still do, although we're starting to live in a gender-neutral world where that's being erased. So when you would write in the masculine, if you took the King James and you tried to translate that into one of the dialects in the Philippines, it doesn't translate. Because to them, it comes across as if I'm a female, I can't be saved. I can't, because I, you can only be a son of God in some of the verses. And so it doesn't work. And so I'm just telling you, I'm not that guy that says if we're going to translate something into Japanese or whatever, that we have to go back to the King James to do it. No, we ought to go back to, any translators ought to go back to the original manuscripts in order to translate into that language or into another language. <sighs> And spoiler alert, the heart of the issue in all of this is going to be 
when we, when we talk about which English version is best, at the heart of this is understanding which manuscript text we should trust. And, and that's why we say, you know, go back to the original autographs. Now, now understand, there are no originals per se. They're all copies. But there are those that were copied from originals, so we, we call them the original manuscripts. Um, but it's, it's not really a very accurate statement there. But anyway, you got to go back to that if you want to go into another language. Number three, I do not believe you can only be born again through a King James Bible. You say, well, that's common sense. I know. But believe it or not, there are some out there who believe because Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever and ever. And they say, see, you got to be saved through a pure word of God. And so you've got to go to the King James. If you weren't saved in the King James, you're all messed up. And that leads to all kind of things that I won't get into because that'll be a whole nother series. Um, I'm not about to say somebody isn't saved just because they didn't get the king's English. I know people that get saved from hymns. So understand that we don't go down that road. I don't. Um, people can be led to the Lord with modern Bible versions for sure. And so I'm, I'm not saying that they can't be. And it's foolishness to suggest that you can only be born again if I read John 3.16 from my King James Bible. Now, number four, if you attend this church and you use a different version, you are still welcome to attend. Um, However, I will continue to teach and to preach. All of our teachers across this church will teach and preach from the King James Bible and not from a modern version. And I'm not going to allow, you're welcome to attend, but I'm not going to allow you to get up and teach or preach unless you're going to use the King James. Now, we had an instance not too long ago. Some men will know what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to go into it because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But something came up during one of the men's prayer, and I just let it ride. Um, I didn't want to embarrass the person, and so I just kept my mouth shut, and I addressed it after the fact. So if it would have been happening in this pulpit, I would have stopped him on the spot and say, stop. We're not doing that here. But it wasn't in the pulpit, and so I let it ride. I addressed it later, and we got it all cleared up. Um, that was probably something I should have been a little more tuned into because I take it for granted. Everybody understands where we stand, but I guess not everybody fully understands that. So I'm not going to let you teach or preach with using a modern Bible. And if you try to convince others in our church that they are wrong for using the King James, I'm going to have to ask you to be silent. Amen. And if you can't be silent and you choose to persist, then I'll be forced to ask you to find another church. And if that upsets you, you're in the wrong church to begin with. But that's a whole other thing. My job as pastor is to protect the doctrinal purity of this church. And the fact of the matter is, when you start going into modern versions, you start getting into uh, doctrinal issues. So, it's my job not to tolerate sowing discord among the brethren. Uh, Number five and last... People on both sides of this debate are very impassioned about their positions. Most are indifferent, but the ones that are in the know and want to debate it are pretty serious about it. And just as I believe modern versions are faulty, there are those who believe the King James Bible is faulty. And some of the points that you'll hear me make are the same points you'll hear others make on why they use modern versions. 
And this definitely complicates the issue for anyone who's undecided. And with this similar reasoning on each side of the debate, who are we supposed to believe? When one says, this is why, and the other guy says, well, this is why. Well, you both have the same reasoning, I know. So how, how, how do you know who to believe? I want to tell you, just study the issue and let the Holy Ghost guide you. And however the Lord leads you, amen? You're not going to be my enemy um, either way. Now, with those disclaimers out of the way, I want you to know just a uh, um, flying overview of how I came convinced on this issue. I was raised with the King James Bible. I honestly did not even know other versions existed until I was 21. God had sent me and Adrian to South Korea in 1998. And while there, we got into our first independent Baptist church. And we were both raised Southern Baptist. And my dad was like old school Southern Baptist, for some of you that know what I'm talking about. You say, what's old school? Dude was walking on the pew, spitting on everybody, yelling, hitting you. You know, that's how I was raised. Adrian's version of Southern Baptist was a little more... Um, and, and so, while we were both Southern Baptists, we were not necessarily the same. And because in Korea we were becoming faithful to attending church again, which is something we should have been doing all the while, Adrian's parents sent her a new Bible, and they sent her a NIV, which at the time was probably the most popular version outside of the King James. And so they had sent her an NIV Bible. I didn't even look at what it was when they sent it to her because it was pink, you know. And I'm like, whatever, girl, enjoy your, your pink Bible. Well, as our pastor at our independent Baptist church was preaching, Adrian began to notice differences in the text. So long story short, that's what caused me to go, what is going on? And I personally took a deep dive. And I went all in on this thing because I wanted to know. I was hungry to know. Why are there different versions of the Bible? This is new to me. I don't understand this. And so I really started to study it. And I quickly became utterly convinced that there's something to this issue which is worth addressing. And I discovered there are major differences. Major differences. I don't mean taking a word blessed and changing it to happy or taking the word verily and making it truly. But I'm talking there are major differences, real doctrinal differences. I learned that there are literally thousands of changes. There are dozens of verses entirely missing. And what's so cool about the modern verses is they keep the numbering of the King James. And so it's great because it'll go from, you know, verse 37, whatever that one in Acts is, it'll go from like verse... 36 to 38, and you're like, where's verse 37? And it'll give you a cute little footnote. But it's interesting that they tip the hat to the King James and keep that numbering is all I'm saying. Um, and so anyway, these are, these are big differences. And there are verses missing. There's thousands of changes. And this is a problem because things that are different are not the same. And what does the Bible say on this? Well, let's get the Bible's warning. So we're talking about the Bible. We're not even going to turn to the Bible tonight. Amen. 
You just have one of those pastors. But if you want to turn to these, you can to make yourself feel better. What does the Bible say on this? Deuteronomy 12.32 What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Proverbs 30 and verse 6 Add thou not unto his words. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So does it really matter what Bible version you use? Well, sure it does. If you believe that God's warnings are to be taken seriously about not adding to or taking away from his word. Some make the argument that all Bible versions are essentially the same. But if that's true, why are there so many? I mean, there's a lot of wives that are the same. I have one. Why that popped in my head, I don't know. But just because it's similar doesn't mean that it's okay. Somebody write, this is going to be a good sermon. I can feel it. That's... We need to get an outline going. Just because it's the same don't mean you can just, oh, yeah. (laughs) Sounds good to me. No. So I need my wife here to take notes and and develop this thing. But um, so is it a big deal? Sure it is. Um, They're not all the same. If they were, why are there so many different English versions? There are literally dozens of English versions. And some say there's over 200. I'm not going to sit there and count them. I don't know, but there's some wacky ones out there. And, and so there's all kind of versions out there. I saw one that was so wacky, and, of course, I kind of perked up because I'm from the south, and it was uh, Jerusalem was Atlanta. And anyway, <laughs> there's some stupid stuff out there. Um, now, because there's so many different Bible versions, listen now, something has to give. Um, so where do we begin when we try to tackle this subject? I think we have to begin where the the attacks begin in the Word of God. If you want to understand the Bible version debate, then you have to look no further than when Satan first shows up on the pages of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, he comes to speak to Eve. And when Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden, he did so with a strategy because he hates God's Word. And so I want to show you Satan's strategy. And to do so, I'm going to transition now to PowerPoint. So we have to recognize Satan has taken a very keen interest in the Bible. Like I said, he hates the Word of God. Now, this should come as no surprise when we understand that God uses His Word to show us who He is, the way of salvation, And he makes himself known to us through his word. 
Psalm 138, verse 2, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So Satan doesn't want God to be known through salvation. Therefore, Satan's interest in the Word of God is very malicious. And we have to admit this. The mastermind behind the corruption of God's Word is none other than Satan himself. So Satan does have a strategy when it comes to attacking the Bible. And we find it when he first shows up And it's in connection to when God had first spoke to man. And you'll read in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So this is what God originally said, right? This is His original text, if you will. Now let's see Satan's strategy unfold. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So His first move is to sow doubt in our minds concerning the Word of God. Is the Word of God true? And that's what He wants you to get tripped up on. And so what do we have today? Well, the Word of God is not true. It's it's written by man. So was the manual that came with your car. All right, anyway. After Satan tries to cast doubt on the Word of God, so that's step one. After he tries to cast doubt on the Word of God, he then proceeds to offer Eve another version of God's Word. Look at what it says. So, God's original. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But let's look at what Satan offers uh, on his version. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So, one would look at this and they would say, well, that's not really a big deal. Kind of says the same thing. But notice that God's original is a positive. Satan's version is a negative. Do you see the difference? Now you may look at that and go, well, that's so subtle it doesn't matter. No, no, no. These things start to add up. And so God said, you can. God's command was a positive command. It it was a command that they were able to do this, and, and so Satan turns it into a negative. Now, notice that Satan doesn't quote the full original command of God. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. All right? Satan, his... Now, it's interesting. Satan truncates it. (laughs) This is amazing because in modern versions, it's shorter. There's words missing. There's verses missing. There's things are chopped. They're truncated. And that doesn't make it better all the time. Satan, he takes this and he makes it shorter. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Not only has Satan put a negative spin on God's command, but he also leaves out much of what God originally said. Right? So the same thing happened. Satan comes to Jesus to tempt him when he's in the wilderness, and he uses the Scriptures in an effort to tempt Christ. This is the third recorded temptation. Now, 
to be fair, for those that will nitpick, nitpick me, Jesus was tempted the entire 40 days according to Luke. But three temptations are recorded there at the end. And this is the third one, Luke 4, 9 through 11. And he, speaking of the devil, brought him, speaking of Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. So Satan takes this promise from Psalm 91 of the preservation of God's people when they are in trouble, when there is danger, and he misquotes it. Now, let's go ahead. So what I've done here is if it's in green, they're in both. If it's in red, it's been changed. So in Luke 4, Satan's version, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, blah, blah. Notice there, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Well, what does the original say? You go to Psalm 91, and you look at what he's talking about when he says it is written. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And again, what's the, what's the harm here? Well, let's, let's look at this. The devil, he omits from, and he adds to the Word of God. And in so doing, he's actually changed the meaning of this passage. God's promise to keep His own is not to be enjoyed, quote, at any time. You cannot just live any way you want and expect God to just bear you up unless you dash your foot upon us. No. If you want to go live in sin, then you're going to have to deal with those consequences. And so that promise is not for just any time that you're out there doing something. But in context, if you read Psalm 91... This promise is only to be enjoyed within God's limits by those who are faithfully following God, who have put themselves under the shadow of His wing. Go and read it sometime. So we don't have a license to sin. It is therefore very presumptuous to expect the Lord to keep us, quote, at any time when we're out there doing wrong. Do you see the difference? All right, let's keep going. Satan's very subtle, we know. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And then 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity <clears throat> Excuse me, that is in Christ. Now, we understand the devil's behind the burning of Bibles. Um, he's behind the banning of Bibles. But in areas like America where the Bible can be freely used, what he wants to do, knowing that it cannot be a massive burning, it cannot be banned, at least not at this point. He wants to blur the Bible through revisions, alterations, and corruptions. And that's what he does. Satan wants you to lose confidence in the Word of God. And he wants you to question whether or not it's trustworthy. Is it, is it the pure Word of God? Can we know? Is the Word of God really inspired? So let's notice the result of Satan's strategy. We see, it, we see it in Eve's response here. So again, God's command says, Of every tree thou mayest freely eat. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Here's Eve's response. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So, it's been altered by Eve, and I think we can make the argument that Adam's involved in this somehow. I don't know if he gave the command to Eve to say not to touch it, but that wasn't God's original command. God didn't say anything about not touching it. He said, don't eat from it. So what we have here is we have an omission. Eve has omitted the words every, as it's connected to every tree, and freely, when it says freely eat, there's an addition. She adds the words, neither shall you touch it, and then there's a substitution. Eve substituted the words, thou shalt surely die, with lest ye die. This is changing the whole meaning. Go ahead. And so God's original command has now been corrupted. The first revision of the Word of God was about 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden. Now, if Satan first showed up with a strategy to alter God's Word around 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden, if Satan showed up about 2,000 years ago to tempt Christ with um, an altered Word of God, then doesn't it stand to reason he would still be up to his old tricks? So we have to be on guard. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage over you. So I very quickly broke down the model that Satan uses to um, nullify the Word of God. He wants to cast doubt. He wants to offer you another version that's been modified. Once Satan's strategy is successful, as we saw with Eve, sinful man will just take over. And they'll go down that path. Did you know there are over a dozen verses completely missing from modern versions? There are around 200 significant portions of verses missing. There are a little over 100 additions to modern versions, and there are around 500 substitutions. I didn't count them, okay? You can take the stats for what they're worth. Some have them higher, some have them lower, but there you go. So how did it get this way? That's what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. I'm going to give you how we ended up in the position we're in today where we have all these modern English Bible versions. How did it get to this point? I'm going to explain that. I'm going to let you sleep, okay? It's going to be pretty dry at times. It's going to be extra biblical at times because I have to cover history that led up to this point. All right, so that's Satan's strategy. And Satan's strategy is what we have to keep in mind as we go forward because what we're going to find as we break this down is something called textual criticism. And that is Satan being manifested in the world of Bible translations. So be here, be prepared, and be tuned in. I want to give you all these reasons as best I can. Pray for me that I can keep it all flowing in the right direction. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer.